whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Brought to you by Rock Antenna, Germany's number one rock radio station. Mr. Andy Scott. We're in the Hard Rock Cafe in Hamburg. Jimi Hendrix is watching over us right now. Just start with that. Is Jimi one of those kind of guys you're looking up to? I was very fortunate in 1967 to be in a band that supported Jimi Hendrix on his first UK tour. We played a couple of shows in the north of England and it was a life-changing experience because the, the band I was in was playing kind of soul music, American soul music, with a little bit of jazz tinge. And we saw Hendrix and the singer and I, we both said we have to change our direction, we have to go somewhere different here. Uh, and it was a life-changing moment. Um, I'd already met um, Mitch Mitchell when he was with a different band, and then I met him a few years later. Um, you know, we, we obviously talked about things like this, and he was heavily involved, um, more so than the bass player, with probably the, one of the best albums that's ever been made, the uh, Electric Ladyland album, uh, and the, the Dylan song um, All Along the Watchtower. Fantastic. You know, just like this was a life-changing uh, moment for you. Uh, I think your music was life-changing for other bands, just like Gene Simmons said, for example, uh, without Sweet there would have been no Kiss, or Nicky Six from uh, Motley Crue, We Wanted to Be Sweet. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think those people uh, take the Sweet for such a heavy influence? If I knew the answer to that, we'd have probably done it sooner. I don't know. I think the, the first album that we released in America, the Desolation Boulevard album, um, which was a mixture of two European albums, it was the European Desolation Boulevard with a lot of tracks from the Sweet Fanny Adams album. I think that struck a chord with a lot of uh, American musicians. We met Kiss on our first ever tour, We were in the same motel, and obviously I'd seen photos of the band, but when you meet them at breakfast and they don't have the makeup on, you know, you're just not sure who they are. You hardly recognize them. Almost. Uh, and the same thing uh, with, uh, with Nicky Six. He used to call me uh, in the early hours of the morning saying, did I want to come over to L.A. and produce them? And the demos that he sent were, let's be kind, let's say they weren't very good. Uh, but the, the band looked great, you know, and I was really thinking about going out to work in the studio, and the next thing I heard, they had um, got somebody to tidy up their demos and make them a little bit more better sounding. And that first album went out, um, and I think it was the guy who had been involved with Queen in the 70s, it was uh, Roy Thomas Baker who'd done it, and I thought, well they're away now they're, they're going to be doing apparently the advert that they threw into uh, the press when they were looking for a singer was Brian Connolly from The Sweet Wanted blonde haired singer you know so let's be obvious what, what we're looking for you know since we're talking about Madly Crew, uh, have you seen the movie The Dirt already? no I've been asked that uh, and I haven't um, I read the book or I read snippets of the book um, you know when you see a book like that and it's all about the things that they got up to you want somebody to tell you that bit's worth reading but I think that um, at some point the craziness has to stop doesn't it 
working with them? Did you experience their craziness? Did you recognize something of you in them? I think that the film Spinal Tap sums it all up. Um, everything has to come from somewhere. And I think that there are bits of lots of different bands in, in there. I think that maybe, I'm only surmising, but maybe the film about Motley Crue is played up a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure whether, whether there's a bit of urban myth and a little bit of making it look better for the film, you know, or I don't know. Um, I, I would say that having met and spoken to Ozzy on a few occasions, it wouldn't surprise me. You mentioned Spinal Tap. Do you have your very own special Spinal Tap-esque moment? Oh, there have been several along the way. But there was no Stonehenge happening on stage? No, we had the moment of the skyscrapers um, on the Love is Like Oxygen tour, the level-headed tour. Those big skyscrapers that we carried around, there were four or five of them on the backdrop. One side, there were triangles, three sides, One side looked like New York with windows and lights in the windows. One side was completely black with star lights in there. And the other side was white, so you could project stuff on, on there. The idea was for them to move seamlessly with somebody working a, a pivot of some kind. The only way they would ever work seamlessly, the first time we tried it, they were too heavy and too big that no matter what system we tried they nearly fell over several times and we thought we don't want to kill our drummer we had to get four or five people to get inside these triangles they just had to crawl underneath when they were needed and physically move them round so that each side was in the right place at the right time several times because they were local people that we used to get in there somebody turned the wrong way so you had three white sides and a black side and you're standing on stage looking back oh <laughs> that's not supposed to go that way exactly <laughs> um you're looking back to almost or you're celebrating your 50th anniversary this year with sweet which is extraordinary and you're going to celebrate your 70th birthday yeah. this year quite a long time still got the rock in you I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't think that. There are many times when I look back and having lost two of my band members that I think, um, how, why, what are we still doing, you know? And then I look at the Rolling Stones and say, that's why we're doing it. You know, it's, um, it's an odd feeling. When I was 18, I thought 30 years of age was ancient. I thought it was really old. No pop stars or rock stars went beyond 30, you know. It was unheard of. And then you're approaching 30 and you're thinking, well, people still want to come to the shows. And then the Rolling Stones are still on tour and um, Eric Clapton's still doing it. And all of a sudden, it doesn't seem... It only used to be jazz musicians or folk musicians or things like that, uh, classical musicians that would have a longevity um, because they were always playing to a, a much less orientated audience. It's that old joke about the jazz guitar player knowing a thousand chords and playing to a, a handful of people. And the rock guitar player only knows a handful of chords, but he plays to a thousand people. And it's, it's when you put that into perspective and you think, well, it's all still happening... Pop and rock has become the new folk and jazz. 
and blues. It doesn't seem to be a problem anymore. In fact, I think there are more people going to concerts today than ever, you know, and there are obviously ticket agencies and all kinds of places that have grown up. And um, let's put it this way, it's a landscape that I don't completely understand or, you know, it's, um, it's a bit, bit crazy. But I think it's awesome that you and bands like you and, for example, Stones and whatever, those bands that were huge and still are huge uh, in, in the 70s especially and still are huge because that way people like me can get to know the music my parents listen to uh, experience what they already experienced and to get dragged into the same bond between band and, and audience. Yeah. Do you recognize that while touring or standing on stage that the audience gets younger and, and parents bring their kids to, to the shows or well, something like that? We are noticing that there's a, a younger element in the audience and, and they're obviously discovering the music. Obviously some of it is that way from, from parents and from um, older friends basically saying, have you heard this band? You know, or you go to a, a smaller town in Germany and it's a show for about a thousand people or a couple of thousand people outdoors, and there'll be people there who'll say, you should go and see this band. And then you, you realize that a hundred or so of those will come to the next show in the city, and it snowballs like, like that. Um, we've also noticed that um, in a world of downloads, which really and truthfully we shouldn't exist in, we're vinyl still, you know, that's our era. Our downloads are pretty healthy you know P people are obviously rediscovering you know uh, music and um, uh, and the record company Sony of you know the giant Sony have woken up and realized that well th there is something worth pursuing with sweet you know so and we've been back in the charts over here which you know at my age you know I, I would have thought that that's never going to happen I mean when I was younger um, my parents as I noticed in their record collection, they had Elvis and um, Guy Mitchell and Johnny Ray. Um, that that was kind of their era, um, which is Elvis w was, because I was probably 10 when I saw an Elvis film, just a little bit too young, but thinking, God, this is different, you know, who, who's this geezer? Uh, but the films were sanitized by comparison to him on stage as a performer so so you never got to see in england anyway you never got to see the full the full thing as as, as to what elvis could do because he never came here um the first guy who did come over here was was um uh, bill haley and the comets you know who's rock around the clock everybody thought that's what rock and roll is all about but he was a middle-aged man when he came here He'd been going for 20 years be before this. Um, and it's like, how can that be, be the future when, you know, young people want younger musicians to come through? And I fully understand why all these bands today, you know, that I, I see and, and artists, you know, who, who you think, that's pretty good, but all kids need their own heroes. They can't, you can't tell somebody, you should follow the suite because they won't listen, they, they will find it themselves. Otherwise, it will never be real, if you know what I mean. But still, you're known to a much wider 
younger audience currently. Mm. You're, for example, on the soundtrack of the Marvel movie Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Volume 2. I assume that's a big part where you're somehow connected to pop culture, to modern pop culture, so, so that people think, wow, that's, that's kind of cool. I can see that. Um, I was actually sat in the cinema. Um, my son takes me to the cinema once in a while, and we went to see a Star Wars movie. A little later in the year, they tell you what's coming out, new films and things like that. And we were sat there, and Fox on the Run came on. And I looked at him and I went... And then he saw... I'd never seen the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie, so I didn't know about it. And he is looking at it and going, oh, this is Guardians of the Galaxy. He said, this is going to be big, he said. And I went, oh, you know... That's nice. Yeah, and then I realized I'd written the song, so I, I, I thought, well, okay. Um, but it did. It, it did um, change things. It did, um, it did waken a lot of things. I mean, Sony uh, immediately got a, a 12-inch vinyl out you know, of, of, of the song. It went in the charts in America, in the Billboard charts. It was in the iTunes charts for weeks. It never made it into the film. It was the, what they call the soundtrack music for the cinemas. So all over the world in cinemas, it was played, you know, however long the, the advert for the, you know, two minutes. Um, so... Everybody became aware of it, but when the film came out, it didn't actually make the cut for the film. But it's on, the, as you say, it's on the soundtrack album. It's on, and it's synonymous now with um, with Guardians of the Galaxy 2. In fact, I've actually done interviews um, for the BFI and for uh, other other areas, not just to do with Sweet, saying how was it that they picked your music for the film, you know, and quite honestly. Um, We are, and, and I think the reason that, that they wanted to talk to me was, we are one of the few bands that make it onto soundtracks like that that are still active and still out there touring. You know, most of the things you hear on these kind of soundtracks, they're, they're like one-off hits and the bands don't exist anymore or they're, they've stopped touring and, and things like that. Talking about your hits and Fox on the Run obviously was one of those huge hits and, and is again one which is magnificent. Yeah. The moment when I recognized how many hits you had and recognizing, okay, oh wow, that, that's from, that's from Sweet. Okay, that's too, also from Sweet. And how did you do that? Especially in the 70s, right? All those, it, it, it's a hit machine. I actually think the best music is the 60s and the 70s. Um, I spoke to Noddy Holder um, when we were having all the hits, and I said, we're a product of that late 60s, aren't we? And he said, yeah, all we've done is we've dressed it up a bit. Instead of wearing jeans and a T-shirt, we, we decided to make it look better. And then he's right. You know, the, the, the influences of, of, the, of the music, of glam, or f from that mid to, uh, early to mid-70s, Uh, before the uh, progressive bands started started to break through, was basically a um, a reworking of the uh, of the R and B blues and rock that had come out of the mid '60s um, from uh, Cream and Led Zeppelin and um, Jimmy and things like this. It's um, uh, bands like Free. See, Free would have fitted in the 70s had they put a silver jacket on. But they, they were a bit jeans and T-shirt, you know. Um, but they were a great band, and, and their music would have definitely 
transcended into that, you know. So it's just about dressing up a little bit more. Uh, still having the musicianship, but making it look a little bit... Um, I think we overstepped the mark. We became Liberace a little bit, but, um, you know... Did you also push the boundaries uh, in terms of rock cliches? Or did you experience some sex, drugs, rock and roll? <laughs> There was far too much um, uh, available back then. Uh, I think it's become a little bit, should we say, um, not a popular thing to be, to be thought of. There's so much double standards around today that I, I find it difficult to even make a... A, a sensible comment about it because what happened then was 40 odd years ago from what's happening now now if you sit next to a girl for example and somehow um, she feels uncomfortable she might do something about it you know it's you know you're frightened to sit down next to anybody or, 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 or to or to be in any kind of contact you know so you know it, it's a funny old world whereas, whereas previously You know, you'd want to make conversation. You'd, you'd want to have, have a joke and have a laugh and, and th things like this. And I think it's quite sad that you can't do that kind of thing so much anymore. Do you think the rock business itself has changed to, to worse? Once again, double standards. Yes, I do think it's changed. Um, they, a lot of it has clauses in, in contracts where you cannot, uh, you know... Um, do certain things you can't say certain things you you know and then you see these girl bands go on uh tv shows wearing nothing you know th there's the double standard you know well, why are you doing that what you you might as well put a proper a proper dress on you know and 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 not do that because every every time you see somebody saying well yes he um he put his arm around me or he you know or You know, he tried to kiss me, you know. It's hard to find a middle way through. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you're the only remaining member from the suite, from, from the very first beginning, who's, who's still in the band. And you're coming back on tour. How much of the essence of, how much of the suite is still in the suite? Um, what can the audience expect? Well, it's 100%, um, because... The whole idea of Sweet is there, there is a sound and there is like a template. Um, all my guys get it. They realize that they can't just freak off into a, a different area. If, you, if there's a keyboard on a recording, you play it the way it was. If there's some guitar parts, you play them the way it was. If there's some vocal parts, you sing them the way that, that, that they should be. If the song back then was four minutes long, it's going to be four minutes on stage now. I remember reading an interview with Paul McCartney after Wings when he was going back on the road. And they said, you're going to be performing some Beatles songs. How will you be doing that? And he said, you listen to the record and you see it live. You listen to the record and you'll see it live. He said, some of those recordings we did were only two, two and a half minutes long. And that's how long they'll be on the stage. This is why when he plays for three hours, he's performing 50 songs, you know. It's difficult, isn't it? You know. It is. How, how long is your show? I don't know. Um, we play for, we, we don't do the three-hour show. An hour and three quarters, two hours, you know, I think that will cover everything. 
Uh, I don't really want to get involved with um, having areas of a set where people... There's obviously going to be an area where someone's going to say, oh, now's the time when I can go and have a piss. You know, I can go to the toilet. That's the way it is. Nobody is... And the age group, nobody is going to sit there and watch McCartney for three hours without having to go and do something. So if we can play for an hour and three quarters, you should be able to manage that, you know? Uh, if we can, you can. How do you do it and why do you still do it? Other people in your age um, are retired yeah. since long. Well, there was a, a moment a couple of years ago um, when my, I had prostate cancer diagnosed 10 years ago. I came through that and a couple of years ago I was going through, a, things were changing and I thought my cancer might be coming back and they found something and we dealt with it quickly. So I'm back in the mindset that while I'm healthy and while I'm here, I, I want to continue to do it. Why would you not want to do something that you enjoy? I've had several conversations with other bands, musicians and other bands, about what, why are we doing this? Are we going to retire and stuff? And the main thing that comes up is, what are we going to do if we don't do this? We sit at home, do some gardening... You know, That's not rock and roll, is it? Go down the pub. That's a bit more rock and roll, but I, I, I don't drink that much anymore. It's better to do things that you enjoy and still get... That you're good at. Yeah, and still get a kick out of it as well. It, it's not a necessity. I will stress that. It's not, it's not a complete need to do it. You know, In other words, you're doing it for the, for the reasons that... Um, like going to work for, uh, on a nine-to-five basis... Um, that would prob that would probably kill me, um, but but to be able to do this, where for one and a half hours, one and three quarter hours per day, I need to concentrate on something that I enjoy doing. The other 20 hours are as boring as hell because it usually involves a bus, a car, an airport, a train station, a hotel. Rock and roll is. It's kind of a dull thing because it's 90% you're waiting, yeah. right? But minus the girls these days, you know. You're touring a lot. Um, for example, you're almost the complete month of May, you're in Germany. Uh, it's a packed schedule. Um, again, kind of, why so much? I'm not the driving force of that. I think that when you agree to, to do stuff like this, I'm 70, it's a milestone tour you have to go with what what is offered and if this if it works in the schedule you don't sit down and say oh we want to do 24 shows that it just happens or it doesn't if 16 people had come out of the and said yeah we'll do that we'd have done 16 but x amount of people have come out of the um uh, out of the woodwork as they say and said yeah we'll we'll have the suite please you know so uh, and and i'm very pleased about that They still want to see you, obviously. They want to see you in Germany a lot. Why Germany? Is there some kind of special connection you have to Germany? Uh, Germany is probably and, and has been since day one our number one territory when, when I think back. Um, I was trying to explain to somebody earlier about um, what's the most important um, thing that, that's ever happened and you can never recreate that first hit the excitement of having your first 
successful record around the world. And when it went to number one in Germany, you realize that something is happening here. It went to number 10 in England. It went to number, should we say, five in Holland, and, but it went to number one in Germany. And that's when you know you found maybe your new spiritual home. And it's been like that all the way through. Um, we even, the, the last compilation album, the, the sweet, um, the action, the, the, the ultimate story, I think it's two or three CDs in a package. That went into the German charts again, you know, and here we are, 2017, 47 years after the first number one, you know. It's ridiculous, isn't it? We used, to, we used to like having days off in Hamburg. It was a ni nice place to come to. We had a lot of friends here. You've got to realize that we're, we live in a, a different world now. And um, Hamburg was a very exciting city back then. I'm not saying it isn't now, but um, if you didn't go to bed, you didn't go to bed. You know, if you stayed up all night, you know, and that, that could easily happen. Your tour also leads you to Wacken, to the Wacken Festival. Is that something where you might freak out, um, thinking about standing on stage in front of thousands of people? Um, now the tour leads you through uh, all the nicest clubs in Germany, but standing in front of that possibly huge crowd, what's that like? Um, no, we've played in front of big crowds. Um, we were actually in Berlin for the New Year celebrations a couple of years ago where there was rather a lot of people, over a million, you know, on the, on the streets and in front of the um, of Brandenburg Gate where they set the stage up. We were at Wacken last year with Doro, Doro Pesch. She invited us to go along and um, get up on stage with us. She played the Ballroom Blitz, and that, that was a good laugh. Um, and as you rightly said, you walk on stage and you look out, and it's this... Oh, absolute sea of people, you know, as far as you can see into the distance. And it's, it, it is quite unnerving. And, you know, even at my age, you know, with no, I have no stage nerves. I have no problem with, with any of that. So this year, at least I'll know what to expect. I wish you all the best for your tour, for your upcoming tour. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Andy Scott, the Swede. Whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Subscribe to our channel for more rocking podcasts.